Hello and welcome to day 43 of the 100 day writing challenge. So by my reckoning you notched up six full weeks of writing days doing this. That is a long time to commit to something and look if you hadn't done this if you hadn't chosen to turn up and drop a coin in the writing piggy bank each of those days the six or seven or however many weeks it's been would have passed by just the same and you would have been here now without this body of new work behind you without this new corpus of knowledge and a new sense of what you can do i'm not saying this to be like so uh i guess old timmy c has done you a solid what a great guy i am i mean you know what a fantastic capable person you are and wow turns out a small regular effort can produce worthwhile significant changes you are learning stuff it doesn't always take this superhuman effort an impossible commitment just gentle persistence and a sense of mischief so We've been doing a lot of stuff about dialogue and how characters interact. And I want to wheel back to a concept I introduced early on. This slightly nebulous idea of um, feeling your way through a piece of writing. You'll have heard my saying it before you start an exercise. You know, don't try to plan it in advance. Just sort of listen. Just kind of like feel your way through. See what clues you're getting and uh, feel your way through. Now, this is by no means the bunny quotes way to write end bunny quotes, but I do think by cultivating a loose, easy style, that is good practice for getting yourself unblocked, generating ideas and just putting yourself in a position where if you want to, you have the option to just take a sentence for a walk and see where you both end up. It means you're far less likely to find yourself stuck with absolutely nothing to write about. If your novel gets all gummed up, you can take two characters, plonk them together and see what happens. The scene that you end up writing on your block day doesn't have to be canon. It's just a form of sort of dynamic planning where you get out of the error spotting problem solving mode and to the exploratory creative try 50 possibilities and see which ones work mode. I mean, you can also just do a free write or just do an exercise if you're blocked. You don't always have to even make the writing about the project you're on. How about that? That's another way of kind of getting out of your head and also switching off all the alarm systems because as soon as you say this isn't the actual project, this isn't the thing, it's not about the thing, it's just another thing, then I, then all of those kind of like internal mental guards kind of go, okay, stand down, it's cool. You know, she's not going to ruin the big project this is this is just a mess around this is just a fun one everyone take five all the kind of like guards go off they shut down their big kind of like arc lamps that have been sweeping the uh, huge barbed wire surrounded prison that you hold in your brain to stop any mistakes escaping and at that point you might actually stumble across the thing you never know that unblocks your project or you might just have fun and be producing stuff that helps you stay in shape creatively for the moment when you are ready to start writing again. Or you may come up with an idea for something completely different, which you can use later. I gave up writing for a while and became a performance poet. I know performance poetry still involves writing, but I gave up fiction writing for a while. Um, and, and, you know, I'm glad I did because all that time spent on stage meant I learned loads of warm up techniques and drama games and a smattering of cross training exercises that proved really useful when I came back home 
to writing. You know, in a sense, I was kind of blocked for a decade. Uh, but I did stuff. And then when I came back, all that stuff I did when I couldn't write, when I thought I'd never write again, to be honest, has helped me loads. Because it turns out adjacent disciplines have figured out loads of really useful stuff for writers. And if only creative writing academia wasn't so insular and convinced of its own erudition, students would have like a bajillion extra exceedingly useful tools at their disposal. Because we wouldn't go, how to write? Well, let's ask a writer. Let's maybe ask other creatives. They've been working at this a long time, folks. Come on. So today I want to adapt an exercise from Keith Johnston's classic book on improvisation in theatre, Impro, uh, because it's a good illustration of a term I mentioned a few episodes back and then sort of breezed past without defining. The offer. Here's what Johnston says about it. Quote, I call anything that an actor does an offer. Each offer can either be accepted or blocked. If you yawn, your partner can yawn too, and therefore accept your offer. A block is anything that prevents the action from developing, or that wipes out your partner's premise. End quote. So, for example, and this is me talking now, so imagine person A says, nice hat. Person B might reply, oh, thank you, I'm on my way to a christening. Person A, in this example, introduces the hat into the scene's reality. Because you've got to remember, when we're writing, as in when people are, like, doing improv with sort of where everything is, like, imagined and mimed. Um, but when we're writing as well, stuff doesn't e exist until we textualise it. They're people, characters themselves are nominal, but they float in a void. So person A in this one says, nice hat, introduces the hat into the scene's reality. Person B accepts the premise and introduces the christening as a further offer. Yes, the hat is relevant. And here's, here's a little tidbit that can like extend the scene. Now, a less exciting version of that exchange might go, nice hat. Oh, thanks. I mean, it's, it is still an acceptance of the offer. They don't say, I'm not wearing a hat. They, You know, it's a nice hat. Oh, thanks. Still an acceptance of the reality of the offer, but it's a bit dull. You know, it's not necessarily a problem. You can have scenes where one character is constantly initiating and making the offers, and the other character is, is, is the sort of straight man, as we discussed yesterday, a sort of brick wall to bounce a tennis ball off of. So it might go, nice hat. Oh, thanks don't see a lot of hats of uh, that style around this part of town. Oh, well, there we are. Very rare, especially on uh, this street. By this point, it would take a superhuman lack of curiosity for person B to not ask person A. Sorry, this street? What's special about this street? If a character doesn't bite, the other one can, you know, sort of sweeten the deal so to speak you know but as Johnston points out accepting an offer means accepting the premise behind it it doesn't necessarily mean saying yes so a might open nice hat no it's not it's hideous there's still an exchange where person b accepts the offer that they're wearing a hat and person a likes it and they return with their own strong strong offer right it's interesting um even though they're going no it's not um that's not a block that is absolutely taking it and running with it and giving us a something to bite onto, right? 
is another example. Nice hat. For the last time, it's not a hat. Again, on the surface, that might seem like a block. The character is insisting that they're not wearing a hat. But actually, you know, for the last time, it's not a hat. Actually, they still acknowledge, yes, there's something on my head because they use the pronoun it. And, and they imply that it has been mistaken for a hat before. They build on the premise that A introduced, nice hat, and they knock it back across the net to person A. Here's what a block might sound like on the page or on stage. Nice hat. Listen, I need to buy a lawnmower. Person B's response in that example entirely ignores person A's offer. Now, this kind of missed return, while not ideal, is by no means fatal to an exchange in fiction or on the stage, as long as it's, you know, a one-off. So a scene might go, nice hat. Listen, I need to buy a lawnmower. You, uh, you dress like that when you're gardening, do you, sir? Yes. Why? Well, it's just the... Aren't you worried about getting grass stains on your cummerbund? I can hardly tend the Duke's lawns looking like a struck scruff. And so on. You know, a single missed connection is is fine. Uh, you know, you can get away with it. It can, like, imply uh, a slight disconnect. Um, as long as it then, you know, you, uh, you then follow it up. You know, you can actually use one, a single block. It can kind of create a little bit of tension. You know, something unresolved. But then you've got to pay off on it. Multiple blocks are a kind of agony for the audience and for your readers. And ultimately, instead of feeling like a growing tension, they'll just feel bored. They'll feel like the scene isn't connecting. It just starts kind of dissolving into chaos. Here's Johnston again, quote, Good improvisers seem telepathic. Everything looks prearranged. This is because they accept all offers made, which is something no normal person would do. Also, they may accept offers that weren't really intended. An inexperienced improviser gets annoyed because his partners misunderstand him. He holds his hand out to see if it's raining. His partner shakes it and says, pleased to meet you. What an idiot, thinks the first actor, and begins to sulk. End quote. Now, obviously, the characters in your stories are not living, autonomous actors improvising a scene. I understand that we're talking about different disciplines here. You know, they are just clusters of words written in order by you that suggest to a reader coherent independent characters but i think most of the same principles here still apply you just let one character make an offer you know i say something interesting something specific by which you know by which i mean like something by interesting i mean something anchored in a concrete reality perhaps inflected by an emotion then you let the other character accept that offer and make an offer of their own. You're coming up with the responses and writing them down. And the main difference between you and an improv actor is you've got a bit more time. If your mind goes blank, you're essentially improvising a scene with yourself. But you might be discovering details and backstory of your fictional world, the world in which these characters exist, in the moment that a character responds you know their response might give you a detail that you go okay well that's part of the reality of the world and then later on you can use that information the thing that they mention you might even rely on some tiny improv detail as a plot point so today to practice the idea of making and accepting offers i thought you could have a go at an exercise johnston suggests called it's tuesday 
Um, Impro is a fantastic book, by the way. It's a classic. If you have done any drama, then you, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm telling you something you already know. But um, I'll put a link in the show notes of today's episode in case you fancy grabbing a copy for yourself. I really recommend it. I think it's a great fun. Um, so uh, Johnson came up with the game in his workshops, and it's based around the concept of over accepting. That is taking an offer and running with it as hard and as far as you can. He says, quote, if A says something matter of fact to B, like it's Tuesday, then maybe B tears his hair and says, my God, the bishop's coming. What will he do when he sees the state everything's in? Or instead of being upset, he can be overcome with love because it's his wedding day. All that matters is an inconsequential remark should produce the maximum possible effect on the person it's said to, end quote. So we're going to adapt this. So in your scene, A might say, I'm making eggs for tea. B, over-accepting the offer, might go for extreme terror. Eggs! But you know they were part of the... of the... prophecy! Hide me! I can't die! Not today! I'm too young! Haven't I suffered enough? Barricading myself inside a bunker every Easter, filling my home with foxes so chickens can't get in. And you never know what part of the supermarket eggs are shelved in, sometimes by the dairy, sometimes over by the bin bags... And now A over-accepts a mundane remark by A, perhaps falling into rapt nostalgia. Bin bags? Oh, I haven't heard those two sweet syllables in a while. Mother used to sing it from the back door every evening, calling us in. Bin bags, bin bags. And me and my five sisters, four brothers and little cousin Terry would crawl inside our bin bags and pretend to be used tea bags, medical waste, that sort of thing. And so on. It's not a game designed to mimic how you'd actually want to write a scene, but more to impress upon you what it feels like to accept an offer through exaggeration. I think by sort of like leaning into this as unambiguously as possible, you can start to get the sense of it. Then when you come to write your stories proper, uh, you know, you can dial it back a bit. But I think the best way to do this and one that's really fun as well and one that is very clearly not trying to mimic good writing per se um, I just think this is uh, a sort of like safe, fun way of going into it. And it's, you know, it's challenging. It's absolutely, I'm not saying it's not challenging, but um, it, it just allows you to really, really get the concept. So that's it. One scene, two characters. You can throw some like scene setting in or dialogue beats if you want to describe how they're behaving. I'm not implying that this should just be script. I think, you know, write it in prose. But, um, you know, one character makes a mundane remark. The other over-accepts, hits uh, a specific emotion very hard, runs with it, giving backstory, detail and detail and detail. Then the first picks up on some incidental detail mentioned and over-accepts that. Back and forth, really going for it. Are you ready to play? It's Tuesday. Three, two, one, go.
And that's it. You may well have found your scene petering out a bit after the first couple of exchanges. It it is hard, I admit, to maintain that frenetic intensity for more than a few paragraphs. And and once you've done a couple of the emotions, uh, it's hard to think of new angles. But I hope you had fun emoting and wrenching backstories out of these melodramatic scenery chewers. Dialed down, the concept of offers and accepting offers gives you a really good framework for generating... Actually, I was going to say believable dialogue, but it's not really believable. It's just interesting, right? Characters throw out story hooks and other characters, instead of just like being these oblivious clods who don't don't notice stuff, right? Who don't do what we as readers want to do. The characters tug on those hooks and draw out whole slices of world. You can have lots of fun experimenting with what kind of utterance makes for a good offer and all the options available for a character when they choose to accept. And speaking of which, should you choose to accept, see what I did there, I shall see you tomorrow. Though that was an admittedly rough segue, so I'd understand if you didn't want to. The 100 Day Writing Challenge is made possible with the kind support of Arts Council England.